Welcome to the Swamp Flex Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I am Boomer. I am Allie. And we are recording in three separate locations over the internet to discuss movies once again. This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flix. It has been a while since we've recorded all together, but you two met separately to record a Star Trek sidecast. Uh, yeah. Hopefully people had fun listening to that. I should certainly hope so. I had a lot of fun doing it. I had so much fun doing it. I loved being able to quote chapter and verse, you know, about something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cannot wait till we uh, assimilate the podcast again. What was funny to me is like I had actually planned, you know, to meet y'all halfway with the episode we're recording now, which was like Star Trek adjacent. That was my like, you know, trying to like uh, get on some level where I can talk to y'all as if I know what I'm talking about with today's selection, which is a William Shatner film. But, you know, listening to that episode where the two of y'all were more talking Star Trek theory, I, I realize I'm just way out of my league and I don't need to like try to meet y'all halfway anymore. Uh, I just have to like let it go. We, you know? we didn't do a whole lot of talking about the original series, even though I'm sure we both could. So, you know, you're opening the floodgates. <laughs> I'll also say that as much as you might have felt out of your element, I also felt out of my element watching this movie, which you called, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, I believe you just called a film, which I believe is charitable. Ooh. Ouch. I'm about to talk very glowingly about something you did not enjoy, <laughs> which uh, would not be a first on this show either. I'm going to talk <laughs> middle of the road about it. So I'll be in the middle. We're going to Goldilocks this episode. Yeah. Perfection. Well, I know that I said before we got on mic that I hadn't watched anything. And I actually just remembered as we were getting started, I did watch one thing. My mom came to town this weekend and she got in Friday evening. And it's a long drive from her redacted location to my redacted location. Once again, do not dox me. And we got uh, to looking at what was available on, you know, just sort of the various streaming services that like are on my TV's homepage. And we watched Mars Attacks because that's a movie that I, I think kind of everyone enjoys, right? Yeah. Is that the last great Tim Burton film? Mm, Quite possibly. Yeah. Me? I mean, I guess that that depends on your personal opinion about Sleepy Hollow. Okay. I stand corrected. <laughs> I know people will also point to Big Fish, but I think that's just an average sort of thing and not oh, truly. I would actually, I would personally rank Big Fish higher than Sleepy Hollow myself. Well, I really enjoyed it when it came out. I think I've just seen it too many times. I feel like it was always just on. He really did set the bar too high for himself to the point where I'm like, man, he really fell off. And then you realize like he's made some pretty great movies since then. It's just not 100% awesome all the time the way he started off. Yeah, I mean, nobody can have Pee-wee's Big Adventure after Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It's not possible. His first and his best film. Yeah. What's really interesting, I guess, about Mars Attacks is, you know, it was... uh, He was coming right off of having made Ed Wood, right? And then he wanted to make a movie like Ed Wood would make. Uh, How much would would Ed Wood would... Sorry. Um, (laughs) But what kind of... (laughs) movie Ed Wood would make and he ended up making Mars Attacks which I think was not very it wasn't recognized for being satirical in its time I think which is shocking to me or maybe it was recognized as satirical but not considered very funny I find it to be hilarious I think that it's held up I remember finding it hilarious but I was also a small child which maybe I shouldn't have found it hilarious but you know There was one thing that I remembered from the last time that I caught part of it on television, which I was a little bit wrong about, which is that you can really tell it's a little bit of like a 90s time capsule insofar as there is the scene where Congress is destroyed by the Martians. And if you look out there, it's just a sea of white faces, of old white men in Congress (laughs) in that movie. And it's like, well, you know. Just 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that kind of is uh, pretty much how it was. But I will say that upon rewatching it this time, there was at least one woman and one person of color. So again, pretty reflective of the demographics of Congress in the 90s. You know, they come through, they blow it up. Everybody laughs. Everybody laughs when Congress is destroyed. Left, right, central. It's funny to us all. (laughs) 
I had forgotten what an all-star cast it was. It is a little bit of a waste of your Pam Greer. If you're going to have Pam Greer, it's kind of a, a waste to not use her more than she was used in this film. If Pam Greer is not your lead, you are wasting her. So yeah. she's been wasted pretty much since the 70s. Well, I mean, there's Jackie Brown. And I also think that she's used perfectly in Jawbreaker, in my opinion. But the same way that everyone uses her, which is like as a cop. Right. But there's something about the energy of Jawbreaker that really works right. for me, I guess. She's having fun. Yeah. It's pretty great. I mean, it's the only movie where you've got both Greers, Judy and Pam, uh, working against each other. And it's the rare film that gives Judy Greer something to do, which is maybe not even more rare than Pam Greer, but honestly, know, it might come be. By. <laughs> it might be more. It rare. is hard to come by. I don't know. I don't understand why. Uh, you know, she's she's been stuck in this horrible silo lately of playing everybody's like mom and or ex wife. Whether it's Jurassic World or Ant-Man, she's really been like siloed into that, which is unfortunate because she's a fucking delight. Other than that, I did read today that Jamie Foxx was interested in remaking a certain Stephen King horror film with a black lead. And it made me remember a movie that I watched last year that I never got around to writing about, although I thought about it a lot, but I couldn't get past like sort of an opening introduction where I talked about how last year with the premiere of Lovecraft Country that there were so many like black American academics and writers who were talking about how sick they were of seeing stories of black misery, which is, uh, I think, important to listen to. And, you know, obviously, yeah, there needs to be more than just that. I, I can personally speak to my own desire to see Stories that are not just about gay misery, you know, joy is good to have, joy is nice, but now Jamie Foxx would like to make actual black misery, which was kind of what <laughs> almost happened last year with a movie that I saw called Spell, which I watched while I was trying to like go through and see if there were any like 2020 greats that had fallen through like the floorboards it's omari hardwick and america's darling loretta divine well i love her oh she's fantastic love her and everything and like he is a successful guy who you know owns his private plane he's flying his like nuclear family back to you know rural appalachia where he's from and there's a plane crash and then he wakes up sort of wounded and trapped in loretta divine's attic and it really does seem like it's just going to be misery until it gets a little bit weirder uh i really enjoyed the first half of it and not so much the second half it kind of starts to fall apart a little but i do think that i would love to see jamie fox's misery with a black cast so that was like my one piece of movie news that i had when i thought i had not seen anything to talk about but then recalled of course mars attacks but ali what have you been watching i actually have been watching a lot of movies, but a lot of it has been rewatching. So the first probably new, like first time watch I did was Bill and Ted Face the Music, because I hadn't seen it oh. yet. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. You know, it still felt like a scraped together sort of budget, you know, remake, but it's always great to see Kristen Shaw. It's always great to see Keanu Reeves doing his thing. The Reeves's thoughts. I, a Keanu thoughts, I think. I don't know. Everybody's saying that. So that was great. Um, I thought Faye did like excellent casting with the, the two daughter leads. I concur. Isn't Samara Weaving in there? Is she one of the Yeah, two? yeah. Yes. I love her. She's, she's great. great. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have too much to say on that except it was just you know fun funny all of that that you would expect i was really looking forward to that one and did not love it as much but i might need to rewatch it and see if i was just in a bad mood yeah i didn't think it was any masterpiece of uh cinema but you know it was a nice film to watch with my younger sister in town <laughs> um nice family movie sit down I did watch a very bad 
Nickelodeon original film one day because why not? It had the title The Boy Who Cried Werewolf featuring Victoria Justice. So it's like in that era of Nickelodeon that I am far too old for. It was, like I said, not very good. His only, you know, 86 minutes long. I don't really recommend it unless you're, I don't know, 12, maybe younger. <laughs> um, <laughs> there were a lot of uh, pretty great young Frankenstein references, though. So that was interesting to see in a, in a kid's movie. And I also watched this movie called The Wind. It's about this couple living on the frontier and their new neighbors. And there's just this sort of malevolent force happening. And I feel like, you know, I would prefer it be maybe more subtle or more straightforward with the malevolent force as it is it kind of like sits on that in between of like yes the force is like a real thing and you see it but maybe not embodied in its scariest way all the time but it did have a jump scare that uh had me shout which is not hard to do i'm i'm a big baby even though i i like watching horror movies it's overall i do recommend it it's very much feels like somebody watched The Witch and was like, you know what, that wasn't stereotypically scary enough. Um, <laughs> just because it's in that like whole era of anything post-Witch that has to do with like maybe a folk horror thing obviously is going to be influenced by or met with that comparison. But it, it truly did feel a little bit like that in the whole, you know, looking at gender at this time period. And trying to scare you with pure atmosphere to the point where, like, the the evil thing is so intangible that you can call your movie The Wind. Like, well, <laughs> it almost sounds like a parody of, like, I A24 know. horror. But funny enough, it is not that intangible. Like, they do externalize it. I almost wish it were more intangible or otherwise, you know, named something else. Because in the movie, and if you watch the movie for no other reason then this is it. There is a pamphlet that was like designed for this movie and the illustration on the front, like the pamphlet was handed out to these people on their way to this land by a preacher. So, you know, it's one of those like fear monitoring, like the devil pamphlet sort of thing. And it's just like so wonderfully designed and it just says demons of the prairie on it and the demon on the front is just so good i want to be friends with it it's just this <laughs> wonderful looking little shadow creature like creeping across the front and that alone is worth watching the movie but i also think it was i thought it was very good you know i it's not a masterpiece but not every movie you're going to watch is and it's you know a tight 90 so why not why not watch a spooky movie on the prairie? Have you ever seen uh, Grimm's Prairie Tales? No, but sounds good. You know, it's uh, an anthology piece. I do love anthologies. And it's it's like horror tales of the frontier, but it has uh, James Earl Jones. Oh, nice. And America's Darling Brad Dourif. Yes. Uh, it came out in 1990. How could you not? Um prairie thing right you know i recommend it it's uh basically two travelers uh at a prairie campfire there's four separate stories in them not all of them are great you know and it does yeah. have a little bit of a, a 90s like early 90s late 80s direct to video feel even though i do believe it got a uh theatrical release but it's not a horror so much as it is just like an atmospheric campfire, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it is also uh, a tight 86. So I would recommend that if you're looking for something as a follow up to the wind based on your discussion of it. I wonder if that's on anything. I need to, I need to find it and watch it now. I like, I like horror anthologies a lot. That sounds like the exact kind of thing that you would find on YouTube. Like <laughs> that'd be the first place I would look. <laughs> it really you know, does. And honestly, when I saw it, we it was it was rented 
not even two, two and a half years ago on a VHS tape. Like I had to rent a VHS tape to see it. (laughs) That's great. So it might be on YouTube. And if it is, and even if it's a VHS rip, the quality of it can't be worse than the copy of Impulse that's on YouTube. But I guess oh we'll get God. to that. I'm sorry, yeah, we'll I don't get want to get to ahead that. of ourselves. We'll get to that. For rewatches, I did last night a rewatch of Point Break because my niece had never seen it and had been talking about surfing earlier in the day. And I'm going to stand by my like opinion that Point Break is a masterpiece and be alone in my house somehow in thinking that. I'm so sorry. I know. I feel like I need to move. Every time I watch a movie like that, I'm like, I love this movie so much. And I look over and everybody else is kind of nonplussed or thinks it was just kitschy. I'm like, oh, okay, guys. You mean like a high style 90s action thriller? Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, I guess. I guess that's exactly what I'm talking about because I was also thinking of Hard Boiled and also thinking of Face Off and <laughs> a lot of those John oh, Woo type yeah. movies and everybody everybody around me is just kind of like okay Allie okay fine we have our condolences it's okay I will live with this like tale of masculinity and surfing and bank robbery and love because they're clearly in love everybody knows that yeah Maybe that's why so many people have to chalk it up to being silly because they can't face the <laughs> the the rawness of Homo the eroticism within it. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. Not these people. These people are just not action movies people, unfortunately for me. It's a hard genre to get people into. Like it I think is. horror and sci-fi have like a much clearer fan base and like cult behind them. Mm-hmm. But like it's hard to like gather like an action movie club to see you know the latest big budget action thriller with you every time they come out yeah i I guess there are a few exceptions like the mcu and fast and furious and stuff like that but john wick yeah but i love going to see those um tamil language indian action blockbusters oh which are like so fun and so over the top and like the theaters are usually completely empty. I'm going to need you to send me a whole list of recommendations because I really need I can to send get you a into few, yeah. that, that world of cinema. But yeah, it is very hard. It's hard to find like action movie people. And then, you know, I also love kung fu movies that, you know, just kind of get written off as like all of the same and sure, but I love them. So if anybody wants to come watch movies with me and we can have an action movie club. Just head on over. You better be vaccinated, though. Yeah, and over the weekend, um, it was another neighbor movie night. We watched War Games. It had been a while. A classic. Definitely still as good as I remember it. I, I feel like there's not much to say about that one except for it's just fun. It's just a fun movie about nuclear war. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Yeah, I think that's that's about summed up my my viewing since the last time we were all together. I'm so happy we're together. I missed us all. <laughs> uh, Brandon, what have you been watching? Uh, this past weekend, I have two Disney films and a Guy Madden movie. Yes, just the exact opposite end of that spectrum. Uh, which Guy Madden movie? Can I ask for that? Well, one first? let me. Oh, go for the Let Disney. Let me burn through the Disney ones quick because much like War Games, I also watched a Cold War thriller over the weekend and i found it very dull it was called black widow which uh, boomer reviewed for the website i watched it mostly for the novelty of seeing florence Pugh, action star because i love her and imagining her little body running away from explosions was like very difficult for me (laughs) and um it was very ridiculous to see her in that role but her performance was basically an impersonation of villanelle except not as funny Oh, I agree, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing I enjoyed out of that entire movie was David Harbour's um, Karl Marx knuckle tats. I thought that was a very nice costuming choice. They were delightful. um, I I, I couldn't get into it otherwise. But did you go go in thinking that you would? I honestly thought I might have fun with it, yeah. Okay. I was open to it until... And this is going to sound like I gave up very quickly, but the opening credits, this really somber (laughs) 
Nirvana cover. And it was so excruciating that like my mood just plummeted. Um, well, you are and, uh, right. It does make it sound like you gave up very early on. <laughs> Did you like those opening credits? They're very bad. I look, I don't know. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> You got to remember that part of that was like, I went and saw that movie and it was the first time I had been in a theater in two years or over a year. Like, right. it was the first thing that I saw in a movie theater after going to see like Emma, like a year and a half ago. So part of me was just excited to be <laughs> watching a movie, but I'm not going to carry water for like Disney, the Disney corporation. Right. I'm not here to defend them or anything else you know uh, it's pretty common these days to, for people who just don't even give it the chance that you gave it to just you know dog on this like film franchise just because like you know it is kind of impenetrable me. you're talking about and me. it's <laughs> yeah and it's it, oh, no i'm not talking about you but there there are people who are just like objectively just like hostile to the idea of these movies existing and it's not just because, you know, of their actual problematic elements. Sometimes it's just because people hate things that are popular. And so right. I'm not going to be the person who, like, defends these movies or tries to carry water for the Disney Corporation. You can't you can't expect that from me. So even though I enjoyed it, I, you know, if you didn't, <laughs> I get it. You know what? I will carry a little water for them because I enjoyed mildly... The other Disney movie I got from the library this weekend, which was Cruella. Oh, boy. Which I actually was, like, enthusiastically looking forward to. I was going to say, it seemed like a Brandon movie. Like, every bit of, <laughs> like, thing I saw about it, I was like, Brandon's going to like this. <laughs> you know, I, I, have, I do a pretty good job of, like, skipping out on those live-action remakes and prequels that they do. But anytime they do, like, a villainess with, like, mm-hmm. like a slight hint of couture or drag to their costuming, I'm like, yes, I will be there. Unfortunately, cannot skip it. Just get magnetically pulled into its orbit. It's too bad. So, yeah. Like, if they were ever to do an Ursula, it, it would not be as good, unfortunately. If they ever do Ursula and it's not a drag queen, I'm not going to know what to exactly. do Exactly. And they won't. Right. Disney you're, won't you're go exactly that far. Correct. It won't be good. Cruella, as a prequel and like a live action version of an animated movie and an origin story for a character and like Disney's version of like a punk movie, quote unquote, really embarrassing stuff. And you could read all kinds of people complaining about all that stuff and it's all valid. Even if I'm going to praise anything about it, I I have to temper it with like this movie's just okay, which is not great considering the grotesque budget of it like just money everywhere even like the soundtrack there's like a new needle drop every 30 seconds so it plays like a two hour long trailer and they're all songs you've heard before so you know that they spent like millions of dollars just on the soundtrack budget but as a superhero movie for gay children who will be drag queens in the next 15 to 20 years um it's a really fun movie uh (laughs) costumes are great uh and you get to watch emma stone and emma thompson try to out you know, chew the scenery. Try to out Emma. Try to out Emma each other. Exactly. Yes. Uh, it's basically like Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns or like uh, Jenny Humphreys, like gate crashing fashion shows on uh, Gossip Girl, basically molded onto the plot of Devil Wears Prada. You're a hell of a salesman, Brandon. You are. <laughs> I mean, everything you just said makes it sound like it's enjoyable, but then it's just okay. <laughs> it should have been better. Like, yeah, yeah. If they had just made this like over the top couture superhero story with like no connection to the Dalmatians movie, like it would have been so much better. But like the whole time you're questioning, like, do we really need a side story where like the central couple from the other film meet for the first time, even though they have nothing to do with the plot here? Do we need like to go so far out of our way to explain that Cruella loves dogs and would not skin them? That is not her. All that stuff's like really just weighed down by IP sales, which is uh, the one thing you can lob at Disney at all times is that they don't take risks, even though they have the most money in the world and can afford to take the most risks. But there's great stuff in it and I enjoyed it. Okay. That's me burning through the Disney stuff quickly to get to the Guy Madden movie, which I loved and I have not loved a movie from him in a while. It was 2003's Cowards Bend the Knee. Oh, I haven't seen this one yet, so... I don't think I've ever even heard of this. 
Me neither. I had it on my massive watch list that I hit shuffle on when I don't know what to watch. And it was only an hour long and it was available on Canopy. So it hit all my criteria <laughs> very yeah. quickly. It's also great spooky season programming, which I did not expect. It is about, well, okay, imagine this. You start with a scientist looking into a microscope, and in the microscope is a sample of sperm. And uh, the sperm, the closer you zoom in on them, become hockey players. And one of the hockey players is Guy Madden playing himself. Yes. (laughs) The the head hockey team captain. Perfect. I'm so, I I just really like Guy Madden movies. I'm a sucker. That Russian nesting doll thing where you just get into like smaller and smaller worlds is really fun from him. Yes. Um, in the story, he's like this like star hockey player and he gets his girlfriend pregnant and takes her to this hair salon that's also a brothel and also an abortion clinic. Um, and while she's getting her abortion, he's like holding her hand. Um, he's making eyes at the uh, Madame's beautiful daughter and um, leaves his girlfriend mid-abortion for this other woman. The other woman won't let her touch him with his hands because she is obsessed with her dead father's severed hands that she keeps in a jar. This is where I will explain that this movie is a sort of remake of The Hands of Orlock, which is a 1920s silent horror. It's that, and it's also like the kinky, kids-in-the-hall style humor of the 20th century from last year. Yes. Um, there is so much kink stuff in this with like incest and like yeah. him being wrestled to the ground and there's a fisting scene in it. Yeah, this, and this all tracks for Guy Ben. Uh, you really need to see Careful if you haven't I have yet. not seen that one. Okay. I'm, I'm used to seeing flashes of violence and like vulgar sexuality in his movies, but not to this extent. Like this was like really filthy, really like old school silent horror and apparently, like, when they premiered it, it was an art installation where each segment is six minutes long. And to watch them, you had to look into a keyhole. Uh, there were, like, keyholes around this, like, circular room, which makes it sound even dirtier. That <laughs> you're, like, spying through a keyhole on this, like, filthy little horror parable that he put together. And I, I just had a blast with, with the thing. I think it's better than The Hands of Orlock, which, which a movie I think is pretty good, but not quite as appealing to my juvenile tastes as... Uh, <laughs> Howard's bend the knee. So, actually, that does make me think of an exhibit that I recently saw at the Blanton Museum of Art. If we can actually uh, divert to there for a second, there's an artist named Suzanne Bocanegra who has this immersive video installation called Valley, where if you're a sort of a film history geek, you know that originally Judy Garland was cast in the 1967 film Valley of the Dolls. Uh, she was going mm, to be the mm-hmm. lead, and she did like some wardrobe testing. But just days into filming, she was fired. And she took the costumes with her. She wore them in concerts <laughs> until she died just a couple of years later. And the wardrobe test is the only footage of Garland, you know, uh, in preparation for that film that survives. But Bocanegra, what uh, she did is she had eight different people, eight different women who are performers, you know, of their own kind. Alicia Hall Morin, uh, activist Tanya Savaratnam, Carrie Mae Weems, and the one I recognized was Anne Carson, who is the poet who wrote Autobiography of Red. And each of them is sort of synced up. Uh, They basically reenact the, it's just like three or four minutes long, but this uh, wardrobe test footage of Judy Garland. And so the, they're all synced up together and it's all eight of them. It was in like a, a room with two on each walls. It was fully immersive when I saw it. And if that is coming to your city, I give that a big recommendation uh, as far as the intersection of film and sort of um, art outside of the theater. I, th- I believe that there might even be like video that you can watch of these different performers reenacting Judy Garland online. But if you can try and catch it as the immersive experience, it was at the Blanton Museum, and I'm not sure where it's going next, but uh, check it out if you get the chance. 
I feel like I can hear the little hairs in the back of Todd Haynes's neck standing up as you're describing that installation. <laughs> it sounds like something that would be up his alley in a very direct way. How would you like to be remembered? When they say the name 50 years from now, William Shatner. We're not going to be remembered, Larry. Okay? It's gone. No. Dust. Dust on the... Just gone. What's gone? Uh, That's the within a week, thought to me. A month? To not exist. That's right. And do you ponder that sometimes? Yeah, yeah ponder it sometimes. Yeah. All the time. All the it's time. It's like with you. Death is coming. Death is coming your way, Larry. What the hell? It's, the... Not, it's not far away. So what are you going to do when that moment of consciousness and death, right there? You die. And you say, oh, my God, I'm dying. We know it's coming at us. Uh, that young cameraman may die sooner, but we're going to die momentarily. And I find it fearful. I said that I was meeting y'all halfway on the Star Trek topic, but to be honest, I'm more like dragging you down to the swamp with like the one hook I have. (laughs) (laughs) Swamp flicks. I had this movie on my watch list. Uh, It's called Impulse, also known as I Love to Kill, also known as Wanna Ride, Little Girl, (laughs) just the greasiest (laughs) title of that trio. (laughs) And because it is the kind of movie that has multiple titles, you might be able to guess that it was a drive-in era I know, trashy thriller, I think bordering on like post-psycho horror. It is a film by William Griffey, who is a Florida filmmaker. I actually had this on a box set of regional films. Wow. One was a uh, Detroit-made satanic horror called The Demon Lover. One was a Louisiana-made Creature from the Black Lake. And then uh, (laughs) this was the third film on the box set. Filmed and premiered in Tampa, so it's like an in-house affair. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was I was reading a little bit about this, that he met William Shatner at the airport. It sounds like he was just talking to, to old Bill at the airport. You know what? I learned a lot about William Shatner and maybe a little bit about Star Trek. I mean, William Shatner is not great. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I learned that Star Trek wasn't always popular, which is not something I really knew intellectually. Oh, yeah, no. uh No. So this is like after Star Trek has been off the air for a while, and he is a hungry actor. He cannot get roles anymore because he's so associated with this TV show that's no longer bringing in money because it's before the, you know fan circuit like conventions started like bringing in paychecks, and then the movies started again later. And I, I did not know that there was that like thin period in his career where he just like could not get anything. And I read one of the stipulations in this movie was that he got to pick his own wardrobe and keep it. Oh, um, my God. Was like one of the reasons he took the role. And if you notice in the movie, he wears these like 1970s polyester leisure suits, a new one every scene. And that striped tank top. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah, that one too. Every polyester shirt he wore in this movie, um, I'm sure... Like, I'm not the only one here who has watched I Think You Should Leave season two. Oh, the complicated patterns. Yeah, all I could think <laughs> was Dan Flashes. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And because this is filmed in the Florida sunshine and he's wearing that polyester, he is sweating just he's so sweaty. rivers of sweat, just like dripping the stuff in every scene. And there's all these ugly close-ups of his mean face because he's playing a villain in this film. And it is so gross and uncomfortable, and I love it. And yet he's supposed to be, like, this attractive, like, love interest, which I was like, that is a hard pill to swallow. (laughs) Well, I buy him as a con man, though. And that's really what he is in the film, is he's, like, so confident, and he's wearing these, like, ridiculous outfits. He's, like, playing suave, even though he's not. Yeah. And um, that is enough to get him laid constantly. Just like real William Shatner. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to go too far off topic immediately, although there is part of me that wants to do that because I hated this. But, you know, there are these channels that I get with my antenna that I'm the youngest person watching them at my, you know, sweet, ripe young age of 16. But, like, it's just me and a bunch of elderly people. And you always know what that is because, you know, it's always commercials for, like, Upright walkers and and life alerts and like um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. class action lawsuits involving surgical meshes. And 
there was one that I saw Bill Shatner in just the other day that's a relatively new one. I guess, you know, nobody wanted to get reverse mortgages from Tom Selleck anymore. So now Bill is on television trying to tell you how to get the most out of your Medicaid, which seems wrong to me. He is a Canadian. Is he on our Medicaid system? That's not right, (laughs) right? He shouldn't be able to get Medicaid. Am I am I confused? He wasn't even born here. Go back to where you came from, Bill Shatner. I'm if sorry. Let's we can get we back. We had to, Wait, to kick out any any famous immigrant. Yeah. Well, now that Shatner Alan might be up on the now list. that Alan Thick has passed away, uh, R.I.P. Shatner is is our person of interest number one. All right. Let me do a quick plot synopsis here before Please. we start getting into his acting, which I feel like is the real centerpiece. <laughs> Please do, because I, I'm going to let our, our listeners know this is a very difficult movie to pay attention to. And I had my phone in another room. I had to rewatch the last 10 minutes of this movie before we started recording because I couldn't even remember how it ended. So please, please give us the synopsis. I need it as much as anybody else does. It starts with um, him as a young boy um, and his mother is having sex with an army man. And it's sort of like implying that his mother is a woman of loose morality. Uh, The army man is drunk and pulls this like scared child into the room to make him watch his mother have sex. It's like a sexual assault start to the film. Yeah. Really creepy. And it feels like the backstory to a slasher that would be like a flashback, like 10 minutes before the movie's over, but instead you get it up front. And I think a good primer for like how greasy the film is going to be. But the way it ends is he ends up stabbing this army man through the stomach with a katana, like a big samurai sword that's like hanging around in the living room as like a decorative object. And as a result, he goes to some sort of like juvenile facility for the criminally insane where he lives most of his life. We flash forward and he is released from this facility with no money to his name, obviously, um, and a huge chip on his shoulder about how he's been treated. And his way of earning a living is to fall in love with wealthy women and try to con them out of their money until they um, trigger his like childhood you know, traumas and he re-snaps into this like childhood killer phase. He, he starts sucking on his pinky, which is what he did when he was a little boy, when he was upset. And then he um, strangles or drowns or stabs these women and tries to steal all of their money before changing his name and leaving town. So on the surface, you get this like very suave, confident man who like talks a good game about like investing people's money in the stock market. He's got like all these like tips about how the game is played that are all bullshit. He's just making it up. And every now and then the the facade drops and like this other personality comes out where he just like turns into this sweaty, disgusting killer and tries to choke these women to death and grab their money to leave town. In this particular case, the woman he is conning and like seducing has a young daughter um, who is a total brat and like perfectly awful. In I was going like, to say, uh, she's amazing. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, I love her. No, no, she's great. Uh, her name is Tina and she is dressed like Rhoda Penmark from The Bad Seed. <laughs> and he's doing this whole like Night of the Hunter thing where he's like kind of yes. stalking her um, and like trying to like grift her family out of like what little money they have. Does he succeed? Does uh, Tina save the day by saving her mother from this disgusting brute? You know, you could probably guess how it winds up. And along the way, he also kills a uh, bunkmate from the facility for the criminally insane, whose name is Karate Pete, played by Oddjob. (laughs) Played by Oddjob from the James Bond movies, who he chases down in a car wash. I was uh, kind of sad. A car chasing through a car wash. I was like, what did Karate Pete do to deserve (laughs) such things? Like, ask for money? Yeah, you're rooting against William Shatner this whole time. Like everyone yeah. he is conning and like fighting against are all fantastic, quirky side characters, and he is so gross and such a like obviously dangerous person. Um, and the way he puts it in his like cutesy ways, he says, "You can't judge a hot dog by its skin," <laughs> which is about the level of like dialogue you get in this film. I have a great affection for regional filmmaking. Like I love locally marketed low budget movies that were obviously made by one person in a rush, like written very fast. So you get this like straight from the id, like stream of conscious style <laughs> writing. 
Yes. And I also love quirky performances in those kinds of films. And I feel like every character in this is giving me what I want out of regional filmmaking, including Shatner, who yeah. you know, obviously is a like big star, but is doing this like uh, Nicolas Cage level, like every line is like overperformed to the point of like absurdity. Um, and I had a really fun time with so this. So he's being William Shatner. Well, okay, that's a good starting point. Like, is he a good actor? Is this, like, what I normally should expect from him, this level of, like, ham? Because I haven't seen much of it before, but I really like the way he turns, like, his, like, vintage machismo into something sinister here. I, I really enjoy it. It really depends, in, you know, in my experience, on the script and a lot of times on the director. He gives some really good performances whenever he's being directed by Nimoy. And I assume it's just yes. because of their relationship. Those are like some of the best performances of his career. It's because Litter Nimoy is like, Bill. Yeah. Bill, you need to chill. Litter <laughs> Nimoy could coach a good performance out of probably anyone. Just rest in peace, Space Grandpa. His worst impulses are probably the things that annoy Nemo the most. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you were talking before, we were briefly talking before about how, you know, Shatner is a bad person in real life. There's a famous tweet that went viral about how uh, we can all take comfort in knowing that Leonard Nimoy and Spock would get along, but that Jim Kirk would beat the shit out of uh, William Shatner <laughs> in an Applebee's parking lot. It's true. Oh, my God. 100% true. And now I can picture what that would look like because that Applebee's is in Florida. <laughs> it's so yes. hot outside. <laughs> Boy, is it. It's in Tampa for sure. It is definitely in Florida. I hope they have big enough parking for the Enterprise or at least the shuttlecraft. It's funny because right after watching this, the next night, I watched the episode of Columbo that features oh. William Shatner. And he overacts just as much. He's just as, like, big. He plays a television detective that murders someone and that Columbo is trying to, like, solve the murder of. And you know how sometimes Columbo's, like, gets the murder mur murderer's input on his uh, crime solving? It's very that, and it's just ridiculous. And even though, like, Peter Falk clearly has chemistry with so many of his guest stars it's still just like William Shatner being totally overboard so I think the trick is just is Nimoy so we may never see an like subtle William Shatner ever again I don't know that I want subtle from him like based on this like yeah. I think he is perfectly pitched to the like disgusting mania of this movie he is he is in fact we should just have him more as a villain oh Perfect. Yeah, that's exactly, I think, what works here. Like, if I was supposed to yeah. like him... Or even or if he was supposed to be sympathetic him? at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that there are parts where it kind of wants you to, but it doesn't do a very good job of convincing you of that, right? Because he talks about how, like, oh, how could my mom let me end up in this facility like a dog in the road? And then he, like, literally runs over a puppy in the road. Yeah, in the road. <laughs> And doesn't even stop. Doesn't stop for a moment. So I can't tell if that's supposed to be kind of like satirical or not. Um, because nothing about this movie, because Shatner is in it, has the license to be subtle at any point in time. You know, it is hard to tell whether or not it's satirical, honestly. Because everyone is so over the top, maybe, except for... Tina's mom, who, I don't know, is just kind of there. Everybody else is just so over the top that I'm like, well, I guess this could be satirical. I mean, it definitely has that vibe, but probably not. I think it's just doing, like, the basic, like, psycho yeah. thing where, like, he's supposed to look normal and handsome and attractive, and you're, like, shocked by this, like, other side that's lurking under his surface. But... I guess because the performance is so deranged and everyone else is also cranked to 11 so that every line delivery is like inhuman. <laughs> you don't buy for a minute that uh, he's like a normal guy, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of like how, you know, this is one of my unpopular opinions, which is that I think Brian Cox was a better Hannibal Lecter than Anthony Hopkins who won, you know, 
the Oscar for it. Because for me, when you're watching Manhunter versus when you're watching Silence of the Lambs, when you're watching Silence of the Lambs, you don't for a single moment ever, ever believe that Hannibal Lecter could have like passed as like not uh, a cannibal in polite society, right? Like yeah. never for a moment does he seem like he could have held it together long enough to get through like one social event. Whereas Brian Cox is just like a gross creep. But is that better though? Like, am I looking to my movies for authenticity or am I looking for something like memorable? I'll, it's subjective. It's subjective. I'll admit that. Yeah, I don't want things to be grounded ever, I think, is my problem. <laughs> like, that's my, you know, subjectivity, my uh, my bias. I'm coming into stuff. Like, I don't, maybe not ever, but that's not my main thing I'm looking for, you know? Like, I'm looking for something memorable and novel that I have not seen in a movie before. And I, I think, you know, the Hannibal Lecter thing is a good comparison point where it's like, that performance is so specific to what Anthony Hopkins is doing that you can do an impersonation of it to, like, any random person and they'll know what you're doing. Right. Like it, it is so iconic. Um, I don't think enough people have seen Impulse for <laughs> anything that uh, William Shatner does in the movie to be iconic, but you could do a William Shatner um, stilted line delivery and people will get what you're doing. It's just used for a really grotesque like purpose here that I don't think I've ever seen it for before. Yeah, like I said, it's a big pill to swallow that he'd ever be anybody's first choice to like set up with their friend who has a young daughter. But he definitely works as like a deranged killer <laughs> who meets this, this character and is like, yes, she's perfect for my friend with a 10 year old or however old Tina's supposed to be. I feel like they have her acting like she's like six, but she looks like she's 12. Yeah, she's dressed like she's six, but she does not take shit from fucking anybody. If she doesn't like what you're talking about, she smashes the plate on the ground. Um, (laughs) If she doesn't like the look of you, she will hop in the backseat of your car and follow you to the motel to see what you do when no one's looking. She is such a little brat and is so confident in herself that she like stands up to this like psychotic con man in a way that no one else does. Um, I, I mean, at its best, that like Night of the Hunter versus Bad Seed dynamic is like when the movie's really singing for me. I'm I'm not surprised that you forgot the last 15, 20 minutes of the movie because like that stuff kind of cools off towards the end. But in the middle, it hits a really nice sweet spot between the two of them. I just I love that Tina character <laughs> so much. I'm like, yes. Yes, problem child. This is perfect. <laughs> what specifically like turned you off from this, Boomer? Read us the litany of complaints. Okay, so my mom was here and I was like, oh, I need to watch this. Uh, we were looking <laughs> for something to watch. And, you know, I pulled it up on YouTube because it's mostly inaccessible in any other way. Kat was here and we got maybe 45 50 seconds into it and she's like I can't believe Brandon expects you to watch this <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like okay I'll, I'll watch this later uh, on my own time and I, I did and I just I don't know man there's just <laughs> I just was like, there's some fun performances in it it is grotesque maybe if I had like had access to you know, this DVD box set that you've, you've talked about that I could have like maybe seen a little bit more of what was happening and enjoyed it more. But as it stands, the copy that's out there and available is um, it's just so ugly and like almost impossible to watch. And so I will say the box that I have is a public domain transfer as well. Um, It's from this boutique label called gold ninja video and their whole gimmick is they do Basically, the Criterion collection for public domain transfers, like the kind of like bargain bin, Walmart, like 50 movie sets. They'll take a few of those movies, pop them onto like a self-burned Blu-ray with a bunch of extras. So this one had like introductions from Matt Farley, who still makes these kinds of regional films and movies I quite enjoy. And like intros to like regional filmmaking and these like essays and stuff like that. So there's all these extras, but the film itself doesn't look much better than the copy that's on YouTube. There is a box set from arrow of just Willem Grafay's work that came out last year called, he came from the swamp. 
um, which is a great title for a box set. Um, and I, I suspect, you know, Arrow put a lot more money behind like the scans and the extra materials that are collected on there. So you can access a fancier copy of this, but yeah, what's widely available is fuzzy, like probably ripped off of VHS stuff that like no one bothered to renew the copyrights on. So that's what's available to most people. But I watch a lot of stuff like this, so I'm trying to like squint past the technical issues to like find the gems in there. So like I was actually impressed with a lot of the filmmaking in this, <laughs> which um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm giving it too much credit, but it was filmed in 15 days with a obvious like tiny budget. And I would say, you know, there's some embarrassing like shooting day for night stuff that doesn't quite work, but... I don't know. I was impressed with a lot of the camera setups. There's this scene early on where he strangles a woman and basically releases the brakes on her car so that she like drowns in this like bayou. And there's a camera set up inside the car. You see it like barreling towards the swamp and like drowning in the water. And then there's more underwater photography of her body, which is impressive for a movie on this scale, I think. I guess um, if you're you know, in Florida, you know someone with a, a waterproof camera case. Yeah, there's some like scuba guy <laughs> who like lent it to him for an afternoon. And there's other setups like inside the fireplace when he stabs the army man in the first scene. And like, I, I find that uh, car chase through the car wash to be one of the most insane things I've ever seen. <laughs> the chase through that was the, the best car part. wash was incredible. <laughs> you know, this movie almost killed Odd Job. Did y'all read that? Yes, I did. I read did. That. Yeah. Oh my God. Very sad. That kind of like ramshackle, like guerrilla filmmaking isn't um, always like something worth romanticizing. The fact that they put this like actor at risk for this like shitty regionally released film. I mean, unfortunately, that is a lot of film, not just small ones, but yeah, it's especially you got to watch out whenever it's a small one. And they're like, hey, get on this rig that is supposed to look like you're hanging yeah, they almost lynched him to death on camera. Yeah. Yeah, anytime I read, like, you know, it's like William Freakin didn't, like, clear the traffic for this chase scene and to live and die in L.A. where they went backwards on the interstate. I'm like, that's fucking horrific. They should yeah, not have done it's that. it's horrifying. <laughs> it's not cute. No, it's not a good look. I think what I possibly liked best about this movie, other than the car wash car chase, was the <laughs> fact that it maybe it planted some seeds that eventually became better movies that came later. Um, the opening of this is very much like the opening of Pieces from 1982. Yeah. Which, you know, that one's great. It also has a cult following. It's hilarious. It's much funnier than this one is, in my opinion. And also this whole, like, Pieces, I don't think you can say is a, is a masterpiece, though. Right? It's good. It's fun. I enjoy it. But it might have also planted the seed that eventually became The Stepfather, which I would say is actually a great movie. And another one that's like very reliant on that central performance from Terry Quinn, who like is that movie, you know, yeah. the same way that William Shatner is the like rotten hot dog in this one. <laughs> Terry Quinn, who everyone I assume remembers from the Star Trek The Next Generation season six episode, The Pegasus. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we you got, got a, a bell. bell. Oh I bought that bell several God. episodes ago and have not had a chance. <laughs> I think <laughs> X-Files like took over our uh, name drops for a minute. Uh, so I've been holding on to that. He got Love a this. bell. Love yes. this for us. Now I feel weird that we haven't talked about Star Trek until then. Wait, okay. So I've, I've been on the lookout for these Star Trek references. Um, I also told y'all to be on the lookout for a fart in the film. I want to know if anyone actually caught William Shatner farting on camera, which was one of the only things I knew about it going in. Yeah. Um, I, I'll be honest. Even the fart was a little disappointing. I, I, I had built it up in my mind to be something long. I did not long. know where it was. <laughs> I, I would be whatever. honest. It's in the scene where he's like packing a suitcase pretty early on. Oh, maybe like okay, 10, 15 okay. minutes in. Where he like shuts the suitcase and then lets out a tight, like a little, a little, you know, I was kind of expecting a long, So it's in a different slow... place than I suspected. Okay. <laughs> uh, unless I've misidentified it or there are No, no, that's farts. right. That's okay. where I found the fart as well. Um, <laughs> what happened? I have a question about the fart as well. Um, <laughs> Cause like that scene is totally unnecessary to the plot. 
he kills this woman, assuming by accident he like didn't mean to like snap and kill her and drown her. But he he does, and he feels bad about it. So he goes to like pack his bag and like leave town. And he sits down and farts. <laughs> and then to like cover up the fact that he just farted on Mike, he starts retching to like make it sound like he's like really anguished. So like if that take was ruined, quote unquote, by the fart, um, that means that William Griffey was so impressed by the like uh, tortured um, like retching that he did after the fact that he's like, we got to keep that in, which is baffling to me. <laughs> that, like That's... That scene wasn't excised entirely, and with all the takes they probably took of him, like, anguishing over what happened in the hotel room, he chose the one where um, he was like, after he farted on camera. You cannot find that kind of stuff in a movie with a real budget and, like, producers who are, like, overseeing what makes it to the screen. Disney's never going to release the fart cut. Um, You have to go to the swamp to find that. And that's the kind of thing I love to see in these movies. <laughs> Thrilling, the fart scene to me. I can't believe that I I missed. I think it is because I was I was trying to to listen for an, an actual like fart fart, just a real ripper. But <laughs> instead, <laughs> okay, it's very subtle. Well, I've circled back around. Now I'm impressed by the fart. the fart itself is so quiet and barely perceptible like he draws more attention to it by trying to cover it up which only makes it funnier (laughs) and this character is so gross and sweaty that like him farting also makes sense to me like logically in in the kayfabe as well i was just saying like after watching this movie that i think if you were to think like oh independent film of like some other country it's like you know something arty or so and so like experimental and if you say like independent film of america this is what you're talking about yeah it's like real self-funded um (laughs) genre filmmaking so he knows he can sell it to theaters because it's a genre that's guaranteed you know some money back this is like someone who obviously loves making movies because you wouldn't make this for profit like i feel like william griffey uh knew that the returns were going to be meager um and from what I could tell, cranked out like dozens and dozens of films just like this. Maybe not with this exciting of a central performance, but he has enough to have a whole box set about how he came from the swamp. <laughs> uh, has that branding behind him. I'm impressed with the guy. <laughs> Even though uh, there's definitely a quality control checks and balances that's missing from the final product. It really made me think about America's Funniest Home Videos in the sense America's Funniest Home Videos is very upfront about the fact that despite being something that was created for popular television, it's very overtly declarative that it is holding up a mirror to society. It says, America, (laughs) America, this is you. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also got that feeling from this. Oh, this is a very American film. Oh, so American, even though, as we've said, he's Canadian. (laughs) But yes, it's so American. It so American it could only be made in Florida, honestly. <laughs> right down to Karate Pete. I mean, I love Karate Pete's van that is like self-branded. Yes! Uh, it's like a camper and instead of paying to have it painted to like say Karate Pete in like custom letters, they just like stuck this banner on the side of it so it says Karate Pete on top of whatever other lettering is like actually on the van. Beautiful stuff. We also get to see him um, do a little bit of karate when um, yes. William Shatner refuses to make him a cocktail. So he karate chops his like side table at the hotel in half and says, that could have been you. Great stuff. Yeah. William <laughs> Shatner being able to take down Karate Pete is the second least believable thing. Like after him being a love interest. Like I said, I'm pretty middle of the road on uh, Impulse. There's so much to love and so much that I'm just like, okay. Which I feel like is a lot of these smaller movies where it's like, I want to like you so much more, but... Yeah, you have to look past their limitations a little bit. Yeah, like, I appreciate you exist. Please keep existing. And it barely does. Like Boomer said, you can only really access this on YouTube unless you buy it on some, like, box set of, like... 15 other movies just like it (laughs) which is uh a lot to ask from somebody i think yeah 
So thank you for indulging me, I guess is what I should be saying. Yeah, I mean, look, I made everybody watch Live Freaky, Die Freaky. I'm not without sin. <laughs> I'm not going to start casting the first stone. I have a lot. I made everybody watch My Demon Lover. I love that movie. I have a lot to make up for. <laughs> it's just that this one fell. It felt like the Rapture movies that I watch, which apparently have <laughs> their fans, as we've learned. But like, it felt like one of those, but like without the weird aestheticism or eschatology rather that makes those films interesting to me this is a film that doesn't have a philosophy and if it's going to be something that's this like difficult to get through i i want to have something there for myself to parse but that's not uh I don't watch movies the way that other people do. I don't expect anybody else to watch them the way that I do. So, you know, whatever. Maybe you'll like it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> the most glorying endorsement. Maybe you'll like it. Eh. Don't come crying to me if you don't. I feel like that should just be, like, the Swamp Flicks motto. Maybe you'll like it. I feel like I do need to temper our, like, artier picks with trash like this sometimes. Uh, next time I'll try to make sure it's not, like, fuzzy YouTube rips. Um, no. That are available, but this was just like on my watch list with a major Star Trek player in the central yeah. role. I felt like I had to do it. I, I don't want you to ever change anything about Please don't. this. <laughs> just because I'm not having a good time doesn't mean that I'm going anywhere. <laughs> okay, good. We need someone to knock us down a couple notches. Knock us, <laughs> drag us back to the swamp, please. We like belong an alligator. There. Yeah. Back into its little food den. Uh, that's so strange because... I was literally just about to say, like, we need somebody to bring us back from the brink whenever I'm like, you know, so uh, I was thinking about Charlie Kaufman specifically and how there doesn't appear to be anyone on his team to bring him back from the brink. And then I, you mentioned, you know, uh, alligators dragging people into swamps, which of course was an adaptation. So it's all. Oh, yes. I'm surprised your version of bringing us back from the brink isn't uh, uh, making us watch the roller skating film Brink, which I feel like is an inevitability (gasps) as well. That is an event. Oh, you mean Brink starring Brink's Eric Von Detten? From yeah, Brink? that one. I mean, since we've all seen Brink, is it really... I've never seen Brink. I'm just aware of Brink. Oh, well... Honestly, if I were gonna... I know that Brink has its fans, and as well it should. If I was going to make us watch something like Brink, I would make us watch Airborne. Yeah, I'm not airborne aware. I am Brink aware. Oh, okay. I guess we know what we're doing in the spring. (laughs) Yeah. Well, for now, this is our kickoff to spooky season in my own special way. I have posted, by the time this is up, a list of recommendations of movies to watch over Halloween season, uh, as we do every year. I have a recommendation from both the podcast and the blog, you know, movie of the month selections, that kind of thing of a movie that is currently streaming on some major service that, you know, is also spooky and um, that we have like positively reviewed over the past year. Uh, so I will post our annual Halloween what's streaming roundup in the show notes for this show. And I'm hoping that we can just keep the content spooky for all of October. I'm going to make everyone talk about Elvira for the next episode of this show because I cannot stop thinking about Elvira every waking minute of the day right now. And I needed someone to talk about that with. As you should. It's currently on television all the time, I guess, as part of Spooky Season. But it's on one of those digital channels that I get. And Matt was saying the other day, he was like, oh, you know, because Elvira recently came out, he was like, oh, I want to watch her movies. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, there's really she's more of a host. There's really only one. There's two. Oh, are there two? Yeah, the second one's not as good, but there are two. Oh, and I, what I said to him was that the first one's not great. But Boo. we'll find out. <laughs> it's been a long time. Maybe maybe my mind will have changed. I'm a mercurial being. Forgive me. Well, she had also a uh, marathon where she like revived her like movie macabre shtick uh, and watched four horror classics on Shudder with like her like interspersed commentary. Uh, same hack jokes, same like perfect mug, great stuff. And uh, actually, Brittany, James, and Hannah all came over and watched most of the marathon with me live. So we should have a lot to talk about next episode. Wait, are you watching it with them or with us? 
Oh, with them. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. But you're, you're also welcome to watch Elvira stuff and talk to me about it because uh, that's all I've been doing for the past week. He's watching it with our better half. I'm sorry, Boomy. It's all right. Born to be the other woman. <laughs> Home wreckers, though. These shows are two separate are. things, and I love them equally. Wow. Sound said like a true bigamist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all consenting adults here. It's fine. I knew what I was getting into. So, uh, season's creepings, I guess. I'll talk to y'all next week. Au revoir. Dead love Couldn't go no further Proud of And disgusted by her Push shove A little bruised and battered Oh lord I ain't coming up with you Yeah my life's a bit more colder Dead wife That's what I told her Brass knife sinks into my shoulder Oh I don't know what I'm going to do. I see my redhead, mess bed, tear shed, queen bee, my squeeze. The stage it smells, tells, hell spells, misspells, knocks me on my knees. It didn't hurt, flirt, blood squirt, stuffed shirt, hang me on a tree. After I count down three rounds in hell, I'll be in.